Welcome to Keep the Game Beautiful podcast. Each week, I highlight incredible people who are doing amazing things in soccer, the beautiful game. I'm Anna Turi, your host. Thank you for listening. I absolutely love talking with Lisa Berg today. I was really excited to have her on to talk about traveling the world because she's been to so many countries. I think she said 20 different countries just to promote the women's game. We actually didn't end up talking about the different countries as much, but we just talked about promoting the women's game in general and what needs to be done and what is happening and what she's done. I learned so much from that and I absolutely love talking about the women's game and we could go on for so much longer. We also talked about failure and setbacks and confidence, all things that are so important to not only players, but coaches. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Today's guest is Lisa Berg. Lisa holds a USSF B license and has also earned a Master of Science in Exercise and Sports Psychology. She currently is a coach and a coach education instructor for Minnesota's ODP. She has worked not only as a soccer coach, but also as an assistant strength and conditioning coach at Bethel University. Lisa is a technical advisor of the Federation of Uganda's national women's team and has worked to improve the women's game all over the world. So Lisa, I'm wondering if you'd like to add anything else or talk about what got you to where you are today. Thanks, Anna, for having me. I want to add, I actually did get up to my A license a few years ago. Um, so it was an exciting time. One of those goals that as a, as a coach, you kind of um, always trying to chase down. I'm actually talking to you from Mexico, from Mexico City today. Uh, so that's my current location. I have a big interest in going to international countries and working with um, developing women's football there. So maybe adding on to that, I currently help um, with an academy here for girls and work on mentoring women coaches that are up and coming in all parts of uh, Mexico. So on this podcast, I always start with the same three questions. First, what does the beautiful game mean to you? Well, um, great question. I think definitely for me, being able to travel around the world and share this game makes it beautiful. I think there's a connectedness we all get from playing. Um, It gives us empathy to understand other people. You know, defenders in any country I've gone to are defenders. Goalkeepers in any country I've gone to have uh, have that goalkeeper mentality and character about them. So for me, it's that connectedness and understanding each other. I think it also Um, I do a lot of work with um, women and girls and and gender equality. And so it gives us all this chance uh, to be equals. If a girl wants to play on a boys team and she's good enough, it doesn't matter where you came from Um, economically. I think it doesn't matter how much money you have, we can all play. So I think the game gives us that equality. And lastly, I've gotten a lot of from soccer because it's allowed me as a player and a coach to express myself and have that freedom to be more myself when in certain parts of my life, maybe I've felt shy or nervous to really be my true self. So I think it's given me those, um, that idea of being able to have the freedom to express oneself as well. 
What are actions or things you do to keep the game beautiful? I think I have gotten a lot of privilege from the game, meaning I've gotten chances that maybe other people haven't, or I've had the opportunity to influence more people or more people to listen to me because I'm um, played at a certain level or because I'm coaching. So I always try to use that privilege to help others. So I have a program over in Uganda, Africa, and we take former national team players or professional soccer players, mostly women, and we help mentor them and give them tools. And one of the kind of metaphors we always share with them is if you're up on a ledge, if you're up higher up and you use that height to pull others up with you, instead of trying to fight and keep them down, um, we rise higher when we're pulling other people up with us. So I think for me, my mission has been to keep the game beautiful by sharing my privilege with others and helping them reach their goals and dreams on the field and even off the field. How do you encourage others to keep the game beautiful? I think that's a big thing I try to start and end each day doing. And one of the things I always say with my program, Growing the Game for Girls, is that when we wanna develop female soccer in different parts of the world, it's gonna take work. And we have a story we tell that if you want to see change in the world, it begins with you planting a seed. And it can be a very small act. It's just intentionally saying you want something to happen. So planting a seed, planting an idea. Um, and then the next generation, you have to inspire the next people to do the work to make that seed grow. So how I encourage other people that I say, you know, you have this dream, you have this thing you wanna do, but then it takes work. And just like a tree growing, you're not gonna see the fruits of your labor um, really come out until a few generations. So especially in women's football, you see a lot of the leaders saying, I want to make change and they're doing the work. So I think I encourage those people, I inspire them, and I also help to give them tools so that they can keep doing the work and knowing how to make those seeds that they're planting bear fruits um, for the future. So going off Growing the Game for Girls, what is that program? So that program, I started with a coach over in Uganda, Africa. She was the national team coach, a former captain of her national team. And in 2008, I first went to Uganda because I wanted to be a better soccer coach. And I felt like I had grown up in Minnesota, <laughs> in the United States, where it wasn't a very popular sport. Uh, and so I wanted to expose myself to more and prepare myself for bigger things. So when I traveled there, we did a coach education program with the International Sport Connection. And I met her. And we started to do what's called grassroots work, meaning right on the ground, you go out, you meet people, you go to schools and you inspire girls to ask for a team. Many teams, many schools don't think girls want to play. Um, just like in coaching, sometimes clubs don't think women want to coach. But if you just intentionally go out and you say, don't you want to? Oh, you would be a good coach. Oh, you would 
you're a good player, you should have a team, then things start to happen. So we just went out with what we had. We were role models, we were mentors, we were women doing great things. So it kind of rolled and rolled and rolled and became this big thing. I was invited to be the national coach, which gave us a little more um, more people to influence um, going around their country. Uh, but from there, actually, our mission is, is really to connect women and girls to opportunities. And we use sport to do that. Because no matter what, if you have talent and people have passion for soccer, they want to listen to you and be a part of it. It's a very neutral, uh, it's a neutral um, playing field where we can accomplish a lot of things. So by going out, inviting people to play, not worrying about their gender or what class they're from, and um, sharing messages on different things and forming relationships through that, we've been able to uh, mentor and empower and equip a lot of women and girls through that program. And actually we've been in over 20 countries and uh, we were doing a, a tally the other day that uh, we've influenced over 140,000 women and girls in different parts of the world with just this idea of forming relationships, going out um, and being intentional of using soccer, using sport. So you talk about these 20 different countries. How did you see the, how did you see the number of women and girls interested vary into different sports as well? That's very interesting. In each country, there's definite interest uh, for women and girls. So I think the interest is always there and the excitement. I think there's a lot of barriers that have to do with culture in different countries. And we've, I've really found that in the United States, we have such a privilege to be able to say we're female and still be identifying as athletes. I think it's very rare in many other countries to say that many people don't understand you can be female and an athlete, that whole identity in, in one package. It's very separate in different countries. Uh, so sometimes people even identify being athletic or an athlete in some of these countries as, as not being female. So asking someone to give up that idea that I'm still a girl and I play sports um, is really hard in different countries. So we do a lot of counseling and showing people that you can be a woman, you can be a wife, you can be a mother, um, you can be many things and be athletic and show the benefits. I wanna tell a story of this, these girls in, in Northern Uganda who have never really traveled outside of their their little, their little um, town, their village. And they came to a soccer tournament because we allowed girls to play. So we opened that up for them. And one girl came and she was very talented, didn't have shoes, played in bare feet, all these things. And actually after a few years, she was brought on a scholarship to a high school. She had many opportunities to learn and she eventually got a passport, which no one in her family or her village had ever gotten a passport. Think about what that does and opens up in terms of opportunities for this girl to travel. And if you only grow up in a small place and you don't get to see much, 
or see how things are done different, it's hard for you to solve problems in new ways. So with this whole trail of her getting the chance to play, getting the chance to get a passport travel, she's able to make a change in her life and her family and her community. So to me, the interest is in there. It is how can some of us with privilege, uh, privilege to understand that playing sports doesn't change that we're females or privilege to say, oh, I could help this girl uh, understand different ways to solve problems or, or lead the people around her, how that can kind of change, change people's lives. And I think my work in different countries is not about getting girls interested, but it's about breaking down those barriers and, and connecting these girls that have that passion and talent to the, the soccer fields and, and the coaches and the programs that would make um, them really thrive and have that chance to use what they have to really influence and, and lead their, their communities. What is it like to see that switch almost flip when they realize they can be a woman in sports and they can do that? I think it's really powerful for them. Um, that whole thing, you know, you've, you've played when you think you can't do something, but then you keep trying and all of a sudden you can do it. And that reflection about, wow, I've done this and hard things don't seem so hard anymore. Or you start dreaming a little bigger or you start telling other people it's possible. So it's really, really wonderful when I see girls um, who are even, girls can be really determined, but they just think barriers are just impossible to pass over. So it's really fun to see. And I think it's really powerful for us to each tell our own story. And I think that's something for me, I've really tried to develop in the last probably 20 years as being a professional coach and an educator. I thought I had to be like other people and I had to model what they did. But I've learned actually the journey is, is me, Lisa, telling my story through it all. Because I think that's more inspiring because um, it, it gives us this idea that we're all human and we can reach our goals, but we have to do it in our own way. We're called to do it in our own way and use our own strengths. That's the only way we're gonna stay, <laughs> stay influencing other people and stay confident doing those things. Um, so it's been great to see it in others, but me going through that process too of, oh, I can do this. I, you know, and I can do it being myself. I think that's really fun to see in other people. And one of the biggest things I've learned in my journey becoming a coach and instructor and um, an advocate. So it's almost like uh, see as an example leadership. How can you use an example type of leadership for girls who want to play a sport? So are you asking about how a girl could um, be a leader on her team? I'm guessing, I'm kind of asking, I worded that kind of weird, but how do you use yourself as, as an example or other women's, women in sports as an example to girls that want to play? 
I think it's, I think that's a great question. I just wanted to make sure I was answering it in the right way. Um, how do I use, how do I kind of inspire girls to, yeah. to play? I think, tell, you know, I, I played soccer since I was four years old and telling them how I started, I, you know, my parents helped me play. I had an older brother who also played and I wanted to be as good as him. And then um, having parents and family members that are very athletic and being an environment that, that encouraged me to also kind of reach and, and strive to meet my potential helped me. So I tell other people that. I think each country I go to, I think it's really important to find an influencer or someone who has achieved a lot of things, um, such as a captain of the national team or a coach, or even a woman who had the opportunity to play with her brothers, but didn't get the chance to play on a team because their culture didn't allow her to. Telling people of like the challenges they've faced and the ways they've overcome them or things they've learned from those experiences, I think help girls to say, oh, it's, it's not very easy, um, but these people have done it. Why can't I do it? I think is an important kind of takeaway from that. I've worked a lot in um, the Olympic Development Program, ODP, in the United States. And so I currently am one of the head coaches for the Midwest region. And when we work with young um, athletes, especially on the girl's side or, or the boy's side, we always talk about the pathway to success is not a straight line going up. <laughs> you know, if it's a straight line going up, you're not really reaching the top of the mountaintop that you wanna get there. When you climb to the highest mountain that you wanna to get to, it's an up and down and, and you have to trek over some small hills and then maybe go up a mountain and come down again. And your route to success should be up and down and telling that story of, if you really, really wanna accomplish that dream and it's a big one, and it's something you think, wow, that's really far away, or that's, I've never seen someone like me accomplish that. That means that your journey to that place has to be filled with things that are hard, things that you kind of miss out on, you think you failed, you didn't make this team. But if you don't try out for a team that's like better than you, you're not going to get better. So telling these stories about you know, what it should look like. It should look hard. It should look like maybe disappointment, but then remembering that, oh, I remember hearing that Lisa said she once faced disappointment. She didn't get the job she wanted or she didn't make the team. I didn't make my first um, high school team. But then she came back and she started in 10th grade. So, you know, it's, it's this, oh, this, this, our journey to becoming what we want to become is not easy. And it's not like all we see on social media that everything's perfect. And it's full of, it's full of trials and disappointments, but then believing in yourself and getting confidence that, oh, other people have done this and I can do it too. 
So going off of that failure, I actually tried out for ODP this year and I didn't make it in. And that was kind of disappointing for me. And it, I didn't try to let it affect me, but it still did. So how can people deal with that disappointment and that failure? Yeah, I think reminding yourself why you tried out for ODP, um, I think is really important because you probably tried out for a new experience or maybe to meet new people or maybe to get some feedback. Am I good? Am I not good? Or um, you wanted to get it into a higher level of play. You know, there's lots of reasons why you did it. And maybe when you didn't get that team, did that change? Did that change anything? Did you get the feedback you wanted so that you can get better and make the team. Did you actually, I think for a lot of players in the tryout process, we don't really get the chance to get nervous and um, compare ourselves in a public way to other people. But actually that's kind of what life is. <laughs> it's like applying for jobs, uh, you know, doing all these things. If you wanna really make influence, uh, even if you want to become a parent one day, you're going to end up comparing yourself to other people in public spaces or um, doing all that. So remembering when you go into these high pressure environments where you're nervous or like you don't get chosen, there's something to learn from it. And you're going to get better the more you do it. So when you become a parent one day or you become a coach one day, you're not going to be like, you're like, oh, nothing really happened if I didn't make the team or nothing really happened if I feel like I failed, but what can I learn from it? You know, give it value, give that failure a value. So, oh, I kind of know what ODP is going to be like when I try out next year. So I'm not going to be as nervous. So maybe my hands will be a little more soft if I catch, you know, if I'm a goalkeeper or maybe I'll know what the warmup is and I won't get stressed out. <laughs> so if you take each failure and you make it a valuable thing for you um, and it can be, it can be good or bad. You can be like, I don't want to do it the same way or I want to do it the same way, but, but better and you can have, you have to really pay attention to why other people succeeded in that moment and not you. Because you look at big teams like the US women's national team. And do you think like players that didn't make that roster for the World Cup saw it as a failure? You know, like, they probably still see things like as a failure, right? Mm -hmm. But they're probably adding value, the ones that are successful towards that goal. So if they really wanted to be on that roster or they wanted to get into one of the games, you know, some people might say, you know, some of the, goal, the players that didn't play on the field during the Women's World Cup, that, they could say that's a failure. You know, if you hear a lot of, if you listen to a lot of podcasts about their experiences, you can hear really how those players react and you, and you think, oh, wow. I mean, I wish one day I would be on the bench of whatever, but when you get there, they could even see that as a failure, but I'm sure they're learning from it. They're asking, you know, okay, but my real goal is to be on the field. 
So they're asking for ways that they can learn from this failure uh, or if they frame it as a failure. So I think instead of us, all women, all, all people saying, oh, this is a failure, this is a disappointment. Okay, this is a learning opportunity. This is so valuable. Wow, I learned a lot more than the girl that made the team. I learned a lot about myself. Like, oh, I can handle this. I can do great things because I can handle the disappointment that might come from me not making it. Or next time I'm gonna make it and I'm gonna be way more happy than the girl that made it for two years in a row. Um, so having that outlook, that optimism um, and changing what we think is a failure to actually being a real big positive. So I'm all about big things. I probably, as a coach, like am the coach that says like, oh, just keep dreaming, keep going bigger, bigger, bigger. And you're like, oh, I don't want to just reach, you know, I don't want to go bigger. I just want to be happy and content. But I love to inspire people to, to become something that they never thought they could and to dream bigger. Because I think a lot of us have that potential um, and they have a lot of gifts to influence a lot of people. And I think, you know, I'm very optimistic. I think we can make the world a better place by inspiring people to reach reach that potential that they have to impact their community. If a player or a coach or even just a normal person doesn't have a goal, how can you help them to figure out what their next goal is or what they want to do? So I think it is under, is each person understanding that in their environment, they have influence. So I think you've done a lot talking to people about leadership and everything. And, um, you know, I, I, I work with a lot of high performing people that are very goal oriented, but of course on teams, you're going to find people that, you know, don't have huge goals, but maybe a goal is to get better with their left foot or to apply for college. And, um, and they didn't think they could go to college because nobody in their family did. Um, so I think one thing is to show people a lot of role models and examples. And I think you're doing a great job with this podcast because it tells stories and it tells people different stories in different ways. Inspiration, I think, comes from just putting a little spark out there about someone who did something that was unexpected. And I think the more stories and the, and the more things we can promote and tell and the more diversity we can have in those stories. So for example, when I was kind of coming up as a coach, as a youth coach, a lot of the people that were kind of teaching me how to be a coach were um, you know, white men and maybe Englishmen, and I thought, oh my gosh, how can I become like them one day? Like, I can't grow three feet and have an accent, really. I mean, I could fake it, but it's not gonna be very good. But I think the more people I saw coaching, or I love to read about people in all types of different environments, like science. I love public reading about 
people doing public health because they're very good at influencing and making change in the world or religious leaders, all of those things I read a lot about. So putting those stories in front of myself or in front of others and sharing those, uh, putting people in front of crowds that not normally get to speak up or using an example of someone who's really shy but their, their actions are very loud. Those type of stories and examples and role models, I think are very important in inspiring and sparking ideas and goals in different people. Um, and, you know, I think it doesn't have to be all on, on the sporting field, but I think sport gives us access to a lot of people to learn goal setting. Because, you know, I think a great coach inspires that in players. It gives that player that chance to learn something new in a safe way, in a kind way that you got to try something and fail at it to get better at it. And that's what sport teaches us. And hopefully that coach gives each player a good experience so that player gets confident to do those things when they're not on the soccer field all the time. And I think that can help them reach goals for their personal life and professional life. So you had mentioned confidence. How often do you see brand new players that are very confident when they've never played before, but players who have played for years and aren't confident in what they do? Yeah, I mean, confidence really affects our motivation. So I went you know, I, I started, I wanted to be a coach because of the influence I could make and the power a coach has. So, you know, they say um, a young person can have a positive life outcome if they have interactions with a caring adult mentor. So as a coach, we have at least five or more interactions with players. So I can influence their lives um, in that way by being, being around them and then encouraging more coaches um, to coach in positive ways. But I started coaching and I thought it was gonna be, okay, how do I teach them how to kick the ball correctly? But actually I found even, you know, when I was in the college level that you need to work on the psychology, what's happening in their heads. And you can see that, you know, people run hundred mile races and their body's breaking down, but their mind is not. Um, so doing hard things takes a good mentality. And that's why I did my master's in sports psychology, because I knew I could help players better if I had those tools. So how do we increase um, confidence? And then confidence helps motivation. And if we're all motivated, we're going to do harder things and keep trying. And we're going to see disappointment and, and failure in a different way if we're doing things like with high confidence and motivation. So how do we do that? I think as a coach, I work a lot at, how do I give an environment for, an for a player, even kind of the activities we're doing that the player is experiencing successes and can do it. And then making it little by little more difficult so that player keeps having success as she or he gets better. So I work a lot in coach education with coaches about how do we make the size of our field big enough or small enough that players still feel like they're doing it well, but 
they're not bored because it's too easy. So trying to talk to coaches about how do we design practices? How do you choose games and opponents? How do you plan that stuff so that the players are feeling like, oh, I'm losing all the time. <laughs> well, we don't want them to be losing all the time. We want them to be like maybe half the time or 40% of the time so that they're a little more like, oh, I did it well. I'm not forgetting that I know how to do it, but I'm still challenged. So I think that's important from a coaching perspective of how we design things. The feedback we give to players is very important in terms of how we do it, when we give that feedback, um, you know, understanding the personalities of people, how much they can handle. And a lot of people have trauma that they bring into a practice. So if you're kind of already shut down by that, a conflict you had earlier, you're not going to be able to hear the feedback or you hear it and you think they're yelling at you. <laughs> so I think it's understanding players. It is talking to them and creating an environment where they feel safe um, to be themselves, safe to make a mistake, and then trust you that you have their best interest in mind when you're giving them feedback. I really like environments where players feel really safe to say, you know, like, what can I do better? But then make eye contact and actually listen. And if you're confused about it, you ask, so what, for example, if you want me to get better at my left foot, would this help if I went out and struck the ball 10 times a day? Or what would that look like? Or you said I'm not very fast what would you recommend? So asking follow-up questions, being specific with coaches, um, how you can kind of get that feedback. But I think there's, the coach has a big part in creating the right environments to make players confident and motivated to, to reach their goals. And, you know, sadly, I think family environments also impact that too. Um, so as a coach, maybe we can just chat with the player about what's going on in their lives um, to kind of help them relax if there's outside stuff that's going on um, and giving them a safe space, space when they're with us as, as their coach. You talked about that trust, which is probably the most important thing to make an environment. How long or how patient do you have to be to gain that trust of the player? So there's a lot of really great books about trust and, and how coaches have developed trust and everything. And, you know, I'll refer to that story I said about, you know, a coach being a huge mentor and role model for players and having a lot of influence. Because if you think about it, you know, if your coach tells you, you should probably eat more vegetables and drink water versus even your parent, like at the dinner table, Hey, eat more vegetables. You're like, no way. Oh, but my coach said I should. So I will. Um, a coach has a huge opportunity because they are on the same team as the player. And I think sometimes players forget that they think the coach is against them or it's me versus the coach. 
the coach doesn't like me. (laughs) But actually, the coach is on the same team as the player. And the coach wants the best for the player to help the team. And the player needs to think about how do I, as the player, come as an individual and help the team? So we have to make sure the player isn't there just to do things for themselves. But we're there to help the team and the team is our family. And whatever role we're going to play in that, we've got to do it. And so the coach has to make it really clear that each person matters and each person is significant. And it's important that they are there. And that, for example, you, Anna, if Anna doesn't come and be Anna today, our team is not going to play the best we can play. So I think making sure the coach gives value to each individual that they are leading is super, super important, invaluable in gaining trust. Um, Cause I mean, wouldn't you love to play for a coach you really knew wanted you to be you and not like the, your teammate, you know, and, and, and say, oh, I'm capable of being me today. But sometimes the player comes to the field and says, oh, who do I have to be like? You know, I wish I was like this person. Well, that's not really achievable. So the coach giving that those players value for who they are and be it if they're going to just practice more and play less, and that's their role in the team. And the coach makes sure that player feels important because they're doing that. And sometimes we don't like the role we are given. Um, so then the coach has to also give that player an opportunity to get feedback and get better so they can change that role a little bit. I think youth coaches are a little different than professional coaches or national team coaches because youth coaches have to have that skill of helping players change their roles. And I think more at the national team and professional teams as the coach your skills have to be about helping the player accept and really enjoy and embrace what role they have. So that's maybe a difference between youth and professional or national team coaches environments. So I wanna ask you a little bit about girls and strength related. Earlier you had mentioned a lot about girls and athleticism and how it's, it's not always the same thing. So there's always kind of a fear of looking buff or too strong. How can we break that barrier? Yeah, so I did a really interesting training with um, the United Nations Women Program. They do a lot of outreach in different countries and and what it means to be female and male. Um, But those things are different than our identity as like femininity and masculinity. So we did a a activity where we had to draw on a board and we are from different parts of the world. So what are the main things that makes a a woman, like what's femininity and what's masculinity? And if we put those in boxes, that really limits what we can do because if we only say a woman can act like this and we only say a man can act like this, but we have talents in different ways. So a woman can only listen and a man can only speak. 
Well, what if a woman is very good at expressing herself and a man is a better listener? So I think I do a lot of talking and counseling about we don't have to put boxes around the person um, based on their gender, but let's look at each person about what gifts they bring and what talents they have. Uh, in Uganda, we talk a lot about how God gives us a talent and it is our job during our lifetime to use that talent to, for good. So we don't focus on, well, a girl should not do this or all these, these traits that maybe have like a little bit of identity with femininity or masculinity, but we talked about what is your gifts? What is your talents? And how can you use those talents to make change. So I think it's more about telling that story and, and expressing to people that even she's a girl, but she's very talented at, at sports. So we need, it's our duty to give her a safe space to express that talent. And if a, a man is very good at, at um, leading people and teaching people, we should give that person the opportunity to become a teacher and, and lead. So to me, it's, it's kind of changing the way people think about all these things and, and saying, well, we're limiting, we're limiting that talent they have. And let's look at each person as an individual with their talent and their goals they wanna make, and let's make a road for them to follow those things. So I know there have been challenges internationally for women who are too masculine. So could you talk a little bit more about this as a human rights issue, especially with the upcoming Olympics? Yeah, so again, using that word masculine. So I think masculine looking, um, we have to change that perception a little bit because when we say masculine, I think we mean muscular, right? So if we say muscular or boxy or everything, so I think there's, there's certain things we have to be aware of in terms of what we're seeing in our media and culture and things like that. And I think there's way more pro progress in those areas in our generation than there was in the past because more people of diversity are getting into making commercials, making movies, making advertisements. And even us, you know, in a younger generation, we can create social media posts of people of different sizes. And, you know, you can create your own as an influencer. So we're seeing more people uh, being portrayed for beauty reasons and things like that in different ways. But I think it's really important um, to be aware of what we're looking at on our social media and our media and movies and TVs, because those impact a lot of people. So when I was in Uganda, actually one of our roles I had um, as the advisor is we talked a lot about what was going on on TV. So there was, you know, if, if there's not women being shown on TV as running or doing exercise, a lot of the population doesn't think they can or they don't associate it or the girls at school don't want to imitate it. So I did a little research about how the Japanese actually, they started to put every weekend during like 
commercials um, during the cartoons, they would do soccer skills. They would have a little commercial about a little boy and a little girl doing soccer skills. And every week kids would see that on their TV and everything. So what do you think happened in Japan? The kids started playing and they started imitating what they're seeing because now they were seeing this on the media. So in Uganda, we were really intentional about how we showed women in sport. And I think there's a statistic that it's less than 10%, maybe 3% of our media, even in the United States is not showing it. You know, that's the only amount that they put towards women's sports. So I think a lot of people maybe aren't called to be coaches, but maybe they played soccer and they become an executive in a marketing world. Well, sometimes my job would be to reach out to those type of leaders and tell them in the area you are in, what change can you make? Because it can really influence that. Well, so I think to me, that's kind of the muscular look and some things. I think there's other things in terms of performance and you know, transgender and um, what is our chemical makeup? What is our sex? And how are our hormones relating to our performance? So to me, maybe that's your question about, you know, the difference in hormones and, and all this competitive, even playing fields. And I think, you know, we have to really think about, I think it's a different topic about high elite performance um, and how, how do we make sure that everyone has, you know, the chance to win <laughs> against each person. And I think there's a lot of discussion to be had about that and performance um, enhancing drugs and, and all those pieces is a different topic, I think, than, you know, what I'm aiming for is this chance for any child, any uh, girl, boy, whatever their hormone makeup or whatever, to get the chance to play the beautiful game and learn lessons from that and then discover their talents and use this experience they had in sport to challenge themselves to use that talent to reach their potential. So to me, I feel like it's kind of a, we don't have to have an answer about who should get to compete in the Olympics based on their hormones. Right now we're talking about just the chance to learn lessons from sport and um, change what people think an athlete or a girl soccer player should look like. And we do that by advocating, um, bringing people up that don't look like us. So you have the chance yourself to reach out to boys and girls that maybe don't look like you or come from the same background of you and giving them a voice because sometimes it's hard for them to have a voice. So each of us thinking, how could we promote someone who doesn't look like us so that these stereotypes or these, the way people, you know, the way people think things should be or shouldn't be can change a little bit. Um, so that everyone has access to this beautiful game. How can we still be kind, but also help change this stereotype or change this perception that this person can't do something? 
I think it is finding people that are already doing it and giving them that voice or giving them a platform to stand a little higher on so that more people see them. Uh, so I always do things cross-cultural, meaning I use myself as an American, but I use someone from that country um, to also tell their story because my story doesn't match them. But if you see someone who looks like you doing it, um, people will be more inspired and have be more motivated that it can be done. So I think it's like the role modeling, bringing out people that don't look like you. Um, and I think it's just giving people encouragement, you know, that sometimes we're going to have more energy because we have privilege. So just privilege means like I get to eat, I, I usually get to eat three meals a day without a problem. So I'm going to have more energy to give good, encouraging feedback than someone who maybe missed a couple meals in the last week. Um, so sometimes we don't realize these things that give us an advantage and those advantages can help these people that need a little more verbal encouragement or opportunity or, you know, bringing them on your team, highlighting them. I always say I got to where I am and that the opportunities I have because people said my name when there was an opportunity to, to promote me. They weren't selfish. They saw me as someone who would meet the needs of a position and they put me there. So now I feel responsible to like influence and encourage other people that I see have potential and put them into opportunities that I hear about. So it's each doing, each of us doing what we can with what we've got. Like I said, it can be as little as giving a little encouragement to the person that um, is struggling because you have the energy to do it. So I have one final question, which I ask every guest. What do you hope people remember about your impact to soccer and the world? Well, I think I always aim for this legacy of creating a better place than what I have had. Creating more opportunities than that I had and helping more women and girls uh, connect to those opportunities. So I hope that the legacy would relate to that growing the game for girls idea that I planted a seed and a lot of delicious fruit was in, enjoyed in the future generations. One thing that really stood out to me today when I was talking to Lisa was when, she, when we were talking about failure. She said something about the U.S. Women's National Team player. If they made it down to the World Cup roster, but they were benched for a game, that would still be a failure or a setback for them. And it's so important for everyone to realize that people go through setbacks and they go through failure in their life. And we need to know how we can learn from that failure and how we can overcome the failure. And also as a coach, how we can create failing environments where failing is allowed and okayed and where failing is something that can be learned from. I hope you enjoyed the episode and until next time, remember to keep the game beautiful. <laughs>